Good evening. It's good to be back out with you all this evening to worship together once again. I'm going to ask you to consider the idea of evangelism this evening, but we're not going to talk so much about the ways in which we evangelize or the different tools at our disposal to do that. We're instead going to talk about how we go about evangelizing. And we're going to pose the question, does how we evangelize matter? Is that something worth considering? Now, I'm going to pose to you at the very outset that I think the answer to that question is a resounding yes, and we're going to talk about why that is and some of the things that we need to consider when we think about how we evangelize. All of us, as followers of Christ, have a responsibility to take the good news that has affected and changed our lives and share it with those around us whenever and wherever we have the opportunity to do that. The gospel changes people's lives. It changes people's hearts. But it's important for us to realize and to acknowledge that our role in evangelizing can either help someone along the path to coming to know Christ for themselves and to be convinced and convicted of what the Bible has to say and change their lives, and our role could also, if we allow it, put a stumbling block in front of someone on their journey to try and do that very thing. How we evangelize is important. The willingness certainly has to be there on our part. But even if the willingness is there, it is important for us to realize that how I teach, how I talk to someone, how I evangelize is important. So this evening, I want to ask you to consider four different ways that I want us to think about how we are going about sharing God's word. We're four different focuses that I want us to consider when it comes to how we evangelize. And the first one is where I think any conversation around evangelism must start. We must be focused on the truth. And our focus on the truth matters when it comes to evangelizing. Now, that may seem like the most obvious point that would ever be made. And it is, but it is a crucial point. I'm going to ask you to turn to Mark chapter 7 to illustrate just how dangerous it can be to try and quote-unquote evangelize when one's focus is not on the truth. In Mark chapter 7, the Pharisees have come to Jesus, and they have traveled a long way to come to see Jesus and to hear what he's teaching And they have found him and their disciples, or Jesus' disciples, about to eat. And uh uh-oh, the disciples didn't wash their hands according to the traditions of the Pharisees. Listen to how this interaction unfolds, beginning in verse number 1 of chapter 7. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem, Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. 
For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. And the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? And we're going to stop there. You can continue reading that if you'd like to see how Jesus is going to respond to that. But here's what I want you to consider for just a second. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the Jews at this point in time. And I'm sure from their perspective, when they saw that the disciples were not washing their hands in the special way that had become a custom among the Jews, they saw that as a huge problem. They saw the disciples as defiled because of that. Where was the focus of the Pharisees? It was on the customs and the traditions that they had created around the washing of hands. Not around the law of God. Their focus was on making sure that the disciples held to the traditions of the time. Here's how we have to apply that today. It is not our job to teach traditions to people. It is not our job to teach customs to people. It is not our job to convert them to the Traders Point Church of Christ. It is our job to teach them God's law, and it is our job to try and bring them to His church. And we can be just as guilty if we're not careful, if we don't keep our focus on the truth that we can begin to bind some of the customs and the traditions that many of us hold very tightly to and begin to elevate those to a place that they ought not be. But as we seek to evangelize and to teach people, if our focus remains on the truth and on the truth alone, that will put up safeguards for us around these types of situations will be able to distinguish between what is custom and tradition and what is God's word and truth. And it is our job as his followers to teach the truth. And so as we seek to evangelize, our focus must lie there. Paul would put it this way in Romans chapter 1 as he considers the gospel of Christ and its power, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also to the Greek. The power of conversion does not lie in tradition. The power of conversion does not lie in customs. The power of conversion lies in the gospel of Christ. Keep our focus there. Now some of those traditions, it's not necessarily that they're inherently wrong but we cannot elevate them to a place they ought not be. When we are teaching the gospel, we teach the gospel. We teach the truth, and our focus remains there. 
Secondly, I would suggest to you that our example matters when seeking to evangelize. Turn with me to Acts chapter 15. This has been a, this is an interesting uh, encounter here as we get the kind of the initial story of, of Paul and his interaction with this young man, Timothy, a, a young man who's very impressive even as a young man and becomes a, a prominent figure in the teaching of the gospel moving forward. But as, as Paul comes to, to know Timothy and they begin to work together, listen to how this story unfolds beginning in verse number 1 of Acts chapter 16. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium, and Paul wanted to have him go on with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. For they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Now, the reason I think this is an interesting story as it applies to this point of our example being important when we seek to evangelize, is circumcision required for salvation under the new law? No, it's not. In fact, that's much of what chapter 15 is about. So why then was it important that Timothy be circumcised before going to preach with Paul? Because he didn't want to be a stumbling block when he was teaching and preaching to the Jews. There would have been discussion around that. There would have been conflict around that that need not be there. Timothy's example in this matter was important. It's not that circumcision was necessary in order for Timothy to be in a right relationship with God. That's not what this was about. He was doing this for the people that he was going to teach. His example was important. It removed stumbling blocks between him and the people that he was seeking to teach. So it is with us. Our example matters. Who we are and how we conduct ourselves It matters when it comes to our goals and objectives in evangelism. If we mistreat people, if we speak poorly about people, as Jeremy talked about this morning, if we are someone who refuses to forgive or hold grudges, others will see that and it can cause a stumbling block as we seek to share the gospel with. Because what they're going to see when they look at us isn't someone whose life has been permanently altered by the gospel. They're going to see hypocrisy, if that's the case. Our example is crucial to our ability to effectively share the gospel. As Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 16, he said, Let your light shine so that others can see your good works and what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. You set a good example by how you conduct yourself and you do so because that's going to help other people see the Father. 
Paul will make this point in Philippians chapter 1. In Philippians chapter 1, as he's writing to the church there in Philippi, he'll say, beginning in verse number 19, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. How did Paul go about making Christ more clear to other people? Magnify Christ? By the way he conducted himself. By the way he talked with people. By the way he interacted with those that he was around, he was magnifying Christ in his body. He was letting his light shine so that the Father could be glorified. Is that how we would be described? Do people see Jesus more clearly when they're around us? Is Jesus brought closer and made bigger by who we are and how we conduct ourselves? It's a huge part of our ability to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. To make sure that we are conducting ourselves in an appropriate manner and setting a good example so that Christ can be magnified and so that the Father is glorified. And the next two points are going to sound very familiar. They're going to sound very familiar because Jeremy spent all of this morning talking about them. What is amazing to me, he and I didn't talk about this beforehand, but it worked out perfectly, because one of the points he made as he was talking about the role that love and humility play in forgiveness was that love and humility actually open the door for a lot of good things to come into our lives. Well, guess what other good thing comes into our lives when we are focused on compassion and love and humility? Our ability to share the gospel. It is amazing to me as you think about the gospel message being taught by Christ himself how many times, how many times it is said that Jesus had compassion on people. Listen to just a few of these. I'm going to go really quick through them. You don't need to turn here. Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 36. But when he saw the multitudes, that's Jesus, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Matthew chapter 14 and verse number 14. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and he healed their sick. Chapter 15 and verse 32. Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And lastly, in chapter 20, in verse number 34, 
So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight. Now that's just in Matthew's account. Mark and Luke and John all have their own versions of Jesus' compassion being shown on people. And that's not even including all of the passages that either allude to or outright demonstrate Jesus' love for people. That would take up pages to include all of those examples. Everywhere Jesus went, when he looked out on people, he had compassion for them. He showed love for them. And that was his motivator. It was his motivator to heal them. It was his motivator to share the good news of the kingdom with them. John 3.16, love was the motivator for God to send Jesus to the earth in the first place. Compassion and love for man is God's greatest motivator. And as such, it should be our greatest motivator. Theodore Roosevelt is credited with saying, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And I love that quote. And I think it's very, very important that we consider how that applies to our work of evangelizing in the world around us. Nobody cares how much you know until they know that you care for them. And when somebody can truly see and feel that you have genuine care for them, that you love them and want what's best for them, then the doors of opportunity are going to open to share the message with them. Similarly, as we think about the idea of humility, how many opportunities, how many opportunities have been squandered throughout history? Because certainly it's not vocalized this way, but the message comes across as, I'm right, you're wrong, you mind if we sit down and talk about that for a while? That is not an effective way of evangelizing. It doesn't demonstrate care for the person. It doesn't showcase love for the individual. And it comes across as prideful. And the Bible speaks ad nauseum about the downfall of the prideful. In Proverbs 11 and verse 2, when pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. Wisdom is what I crave when trying to share the gospel with others. I need the wisdom that can be provided by God to help me recognize opportunities and to take advantage of them appropriately. And in order for me to do that to my fullest ability, I need humility. In the 25th Psalm, in verse number 9, a psalm of David, he writes, The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. You see, it is the one who commits themselves to humility 
to, to recognizing that, that I'm not above anyone. That the very fact that I have the gospel to share with someone else is a gift from God. And as such, I don't think of myself highly. I don't think of myself in any prideful manner. I humble myself before my creator and before the giver of the gospel. And by doing so, he prepares me to be able to share that good news with others. Our humility matters when it comes to being effective evangelists for God. I think as I look at this list and I think about the focus that all of us should put on the truth and the focus that we should put on our example and the compassion and love that we show for others and the humility with which we regard ourselves. All of those things not only help me be a more effective evangelist for God, but you know what they all do first? They all make me a better Christian. They strengthen my relationship with God. I I can't have the relationship with God that he wants me to have if my focus isn't on the truth. I can't have the relationship that God wants to have with me if I'm living a life of hypocrisy. If I don't love others, I can't have a relationship with the one who is love. If I think of myself more highly than I should, I'm missing out on the wisdom that God provides and the teaching that he can give me. So as we wrap things up this evening, I want us to consider the importance of giving thought to how we evangelize and how we share the gospel in our communities. How do you share the gospel with an erring brother or sister? How do you share the gospel within your own family? How do you share the gospel with those around you? These things matter, and they need to be given serious attention so that we can be the tool at God's disposal that he wants us to be. And at the end of the day, this is all worth considering because of the greatness of this message that we all hold in our hands. What we hold in our hands or have on our laps or are looking at on our phones is life-changing and eternity-altering. And it is worthy of giving serious attention to not only the impact that it's having on my life, but how I then can be a vessel for allowing it to have an impact on others. So what impact has it had on your life? Have you been the type of person that as you consider the great value found in the gospel? Are you a person who is willing to put self aside, willing to give up everything to follow it? The parable of the pearl of great price. When we truly come to understand what we are holding and what we are reading, it moves us to do whatever we have to do to be followers, to mold our lives 
in the way that God wants us to. And so I hope, if nothing else this evening, we can all give serious thought to how much we value the truth, how much we value God's Word. And if you recognize the importance of it, if you recognize it as truth, then I hope you'll realize the responsibility that each of us have to be obedient to God's will and then to live out whatever remaining days he gives us, helping others see the great message that we have uncovered for ourselves. If you're here this evening and you're not a Christian, we want to extend to you the opportunity, the opportunity to be obedient to God's will, to become a child of his, And to walk out of here knowing that your relationship with God will lead you from today all the way through eternity. If you've done that in the past, but but maybe you realize that you're not living the way that you should. Maybe you're not prepared to teach the gospel to others because you yourself aren't living the way that God would want you to. We're here to help you, to pray for you, to encourage you in whatever way that we can. If you'll come to the front and let us know how as we stand and sing.